What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Reasonably Outrageous. I'm your co-host, Matt Wyrick, along with Blake Pace on a Monday evening. It's just after 7 o'clock here in Charlottesville. Blake, come at you from Nashville. Blake, how was your weekend, man? How you doing? Uh, not bad. I, I kind of just hung out around. I do have to ask you, though, how's the future? Because it's 6 o'clock here, as, as you may <laughs> know, the central time. What's the future like? What are the, what are the winning lottery numbers over there that I can punch in? Well, I haven't heard the lot of results yet, but it did just rain. So I guess in about an hour, you're going to get ah, some thunderstorms. Um, All right. to be the one to break the bad news. But I'm going to go bet some people down on the street. Be like, hey, in an hour, it's going to rain. Just try and make <laughs> some money off of them. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, we have had a lot going on uh, in the world of sports, uh, as you know, Blake. And uh, we are in full swing with... Training camp in the NFL, lots of storylines there. We're going to dive into baseball. We're getting we're getting the final stretch here. Fantasy baseball playoffs start today uh, for most yes, leagues, do. so we're pretty excited. Blake and I both in the playoffs for our league after tying this past week. Oddly enough, um, just came down to two Madison Bumgarner strikeouts. Man, two away, Woo! and I would have had it. I would have had it. You're skinning your teeth. It was close, dude. And honestly, that's the story of my season. And Matt and I, you know, we don't want to bore down on too much fantasy talk but dude I've it's like I said the entire season I've had you know between four or six guys on the IL our league only allows three max spots so I've been it's been every week getting through by the skin of my teeth I mean to the point where the guy that I picked up on Sunday to just barely get over the top on those strikeouts he was pitching for the first time on a new team coming off the IL on the same day and was only expected to uh to pitch a few innings, but somehow magically Trevor Richards got six strikeouts uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays against the Detroit Tigers, and uh, yeah, here we are. I got a nice two-round bye. Team will get healthy up, and then maybe I'll see you later on in the postseason. There's a chance. I've got my first matchup this week, uh, two-week matchup actually. So I'm, my team's you know a little banged up right now, but you know we'll be we'll be fine. I think I might Coach get N- Nelson Cruz back by the time I'd face you. So that's oh, all there that you matters. go. That's nice. <laughs> Um, but let's talk some football, and namely the guy that's on everybody's mind right now, and that's Antonio <laughs> Brown, uh, who has had one of the most tumultuous off-seasons we have had in recent memory for any player. Um, just about every week we're having some kind of weird headline of him doing everything from dyeing his mustache to threatening to quit. I mean, you know, the list goes on, and we, of, co- of course, have been able to watch it all unfold over Hard Knocks, which has been glorious. Um, they just picked the absolute best team uh, to do that for uh, with all the storylines that they've had and all the personalities that are in that camp. But we're going to go ahead and just dive in here with AB. And, Blake, what stands out to you is just the weirdest fucking shit that's happened with AB so far this season. Well, yeah, season, and, I guess. And, and to more just briefly cap on what we're doing here, we always had our fun draft segments uh, where we go back and forth on, on you know, we, we do a, a draft off between the two of us, maybe at the end try and see who, who had the better draft on this. And, and I feel like, you know, we were talking about this last week too when talking about Antonio Brown. We don't want to get too bogged down on, like, just the boring, you know, semantics of just talking about, you know, the news and having this boring back-and-forth conversation. So it would be fun to just, 
you know, take it, look back, and uh, and uh, pick some of our favorite segments to kind of just really point out how absurd this offseason has been. And so th- the wildest thing to me, and I'm going right in with this, my first pick in our draft, is him <laughs> trying on multiple occasions to paint his Steelers helmet in the Raiders' colors to just pass it into practice. Like, nobody was going to notice. Like, he was just like, oh, I'm going to put uh, put the Raiders logo on, I'm going to paint it all black and silver, and then he's just going to walk onto the field like no one is going to notice the fact that his helmet is like a five-year-old tried drawing on it. And it's not even just the Raiders who are worried about staying compliant that are looking out for that, but there are actual NFL officials that are there every practice to make sure that you are being, uh, that you are, you know, maintaining and following all the rules. So that, to me, that Antonio Brown, a 30-year-old man, was sitting at home, I was like, i got to paint this old helmet, and they're not going to notice at all. He was, like, so convinced that it was going to work. So that's that's clear. That's the most absurd thing that he's done uh, to me this off season. But I mean, the list is so long of all the stuff that he's done. I mean, for me, it's like, what exactly did he do? I mean, did he just run over to Michaels and grab you know a set of paints and come back and <laughs> yeah. uh, you know was he going crayons? I mean, I'd love to just see like the process that he went right. through and where he looked at that helmet and was just like. That's it. That's the one. What's going to be great, what's going to be great is by the time he retires, and you know he's always big, you know, Mr. Big Chest, he's on Instagram Live and social media, we're going to get this point by the end of his career where he just opens up on all of it, and and it's just going to be so funny when, when the interviewer is like, so let's let's go through this helmet painting information, like what'd you do here? And AB is going to die laughing, and we're going to figure out what he actually tried to do, and that is going to be can't miss content right there. I'm so looking forward to it. I can't wait, man. I can't wait. All right, I'm I'm up I'm up with number two, and I think it's clearly uh, going to have to be the frostbite uh, at the number oh, two draft pick dude. here. Him somehow is it crypto freezing? Uh, uh, crypto. His- Cryptotherapy, I think, is cryptotherapy. He froze his feet. Uh, the nasty ass picture we saw of the bottom of his feet, uh, oh. absolutely disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, you know, only AB uh, could do something like that. I mean, how do you even do it? Like, you just leave your feet oh. in there too long, not even realize that you're. I guess you just go numb and you, you right. kill all the nerves and you just don't <laughs> notice. But there's got to be some kind of time limit. You're you're an NFL football player. You have your entire income is based off of your body and taking good care of it, and you do something as careless as that. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah. And so, first off, I we said it wrong. It's actually cryotherapy. Oh, uh, so, <laughs> so, but second, the the reason is is because he legitimately was like the there is recommended and almost in most cases required footwear to put on when you go in those tanks, and he just was like, no, I'm not going to wear those. <laughs> like it wasn't even the fact that he stayed in there too long. He just refused to wear the required footwear that protects your feet when you go in such low temperatures in that type of medical therapy. And so the fact that he just it was, you know, a, a professional had to be like, hey, you have to wear this footwear. But if, if AB is throwing him however ca- much cash to go in one of those tanks, at a certain point, you just got to be like, all right, I'm going to let this guy, you know, fuck up his own feet. But, um,. So wild, such a he's wild. Got, he's got such a hot head. He figured he'd be fun, right? Yeah. So that's definitely the, the, the yeah. <laughs> I, that's such a 
<laughs> okay, I, it took the me worst. a second to get <laughs> yeah. what you were doing, and now I'm now I'm realizing. Uh, but but yeah, so I totally agree. Those are those are the two far craziest parts of this storyline. Um, with my next pick, I, I'm gonna go with the bleached mustache. The the bleached mustache is just such a unique look, and. and and, and unique is the nicest way I think that I can say that. I mean, you're you're a guy that has you know facial hair. You've got we've got crazy looks in the NFL all the time. You know, Aaron Rodgers has his thick mustache. OBJ used to have his you know uh, you know his little like blonde perm on the top of his head. But to go out there and just bleach your mustache all by itself, uh, and just let that rock that be your that have that be your look. Uh, that's just uh, an extremely weird thing to do this off season, and uh, I guess that was when that was kind of the turning point when we were asking if AB was okay. Like he was demanding the trade, and we didn't see him for a while, and it was like, is he going to be able to get out of Pittsburgh? Where is he going to end up? Is this going to be the last time we see him? And then all of a sudden, you know, he comes out with the bleach mustache. We're like, ooh, is he okay mentally? You know, what, what's going on in his head? Because that's just not a, a normal thing. And then we saw it kind of spiral even further out of control to the point we're at now. But to me, I mean, I mean that's got to be up there. That's such a bizarre thing to do to your your look to bleach, specifically just your mustache. I'm, I'm looking at memes uh, related to the mustache. My favorite ones, the, the got milk slogan with him, just with that mustache. It's just so <laughs> fucking funny. Um, I love it. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, he was on some vacation, I guess. You know, girls will do that thing where they twirl their hair, braid it or whatever, like against their head. I don't know what that's called, but I guess it's in that ballpark of things <laughs> oh, to okay. do. I gotcha. almost got a henna tattoo this weekend. I passed by it uh, on, the, on the boardwalk uh, in Jersey Shore, and I, I looked at it. I thought real hard about it. Yeah. Uh, getting one, but you know, it's like one of those things. I guess when you're on vacation, you're like, I you know, guess. I'm here. Why not? Um, right. But it, that's AB for you. My my second pick here. I think that's clear cut. The top three, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. where we have those are the three most crazy things that happened. But um, this one, because of just the amount of conversation that it, it created, uh, Antonio Brown dropping the Steelers from his Twitter bio before being traded. Uh, we got into the off season when AB. Uh, you know, obviously we, we heard the reports of him quitting in week 17, uh, not showing up to practice and, and basically turning his back on his teammates. Uh, we knew that he was pretty much out the door at that point with, you know, the kind of organization the Steelers are. They, they, they show that, you know, the team is bigger than the player. Uh, they've been very good at that uh, throughout their entire time as a franchise. Um, we figured he was going to be traded, but that's really what started uh, the rumors to start swirling was when he dropped the Steelers from his bio. Everybody started saying, "Oh, where is he going to go? What's going to happen?" Blah blah blah. Um, and and you know, maybe not like the most crazy thing to do. Julio Jones did it actually during training camp a couple years back when he was reworking his deal with the Falcons. Uh, and at that point, you know, he was still under contract for a, right before a season. Uh, that was, I think, even more of a, a boneheaded move, but. This one, you know, just classic AB style, subtly, you know, throwing shade uh, at the Steelers. That's kind of his MO. Yeah, no, certainly. And, I mean, we wouldn't be here without that first step right there and, of course, how exactly. it all played out. So so that's definitely got to be up there. And, and and more so just the fact that he was, he was able to do something that, you know, we have seen maybe never before in NFL history pulling off something like that where you've got a guy that's tied to uh, – 
he's got he had three years and and roughly forty million remaining on his deal with the Steelers. And the the point that you got to where he was like, no, you're gonna trade me or else. Like I, I just. We've seen situations where players will sit out toward to the end of their contract, but with as much length was left on his deal, just him essentially just going out there and, and sticking it to the league um, and sticking it to the Steelers is just something that it's unprecedented. It's pretty crazy. Um, I just lost my train of thought on my final thing, so I'm trying to pick it together as I'm talking to you. <laughs> it was oh, it's the fact that Antonio Brown was threatening to retire with millions and millions of dollars left on the table. And this is just, you know, this, you know, is just a little bit of a stretch and it's a culmination of everything that still has to come. But he's due, uh, he is due 15 and a half million this year, 17 million next year, and 17 and a half million the year after that. So that's 50 million over the next three years. And he was willing to give that up because he had to change his helmet. That is absurd to me. Everything that you worked for, you just went through all that BS with the Steelers, the trouble that you had there. Not only did you get what you wanted in a trade, but you got a massive extension after that to where the Raiders are now forking over boatloads of cash to you. And then, just a couple months later, you threatened to retire because your helmet isn't approved. And and we don't know essentially how this is still playing out. The latest is, you know, we were talking before the show, Antonio Brown reported uh, to training camp this morning. Their walkthrough practice was canceled. And I, I believe what we were saying was media might not have been available uh, for the remainder of the day, but it looks like he's back. Mike Mayock was very adamant on Sunday night. We need him to be all in or all out. So he's really just putting it out there for Antonio Brown to, to you know, shut up or, 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 you know, be out, essentially. And it's just one of those things. The fact that he is sitting at 31 years old is a first ballot Hall of Famer, without a doubt, um, and, and all that he's accomplished. And he was willing to throw away, you know, three more successful years, uh, potentially very successful years, $50 million in in money over the fact that his helmet had to change, which had to change across the entire uh, league as well. Yeah, I mean, I have to credit the uh, Raiders in this situation for how they've handled things. You know, I, I think that Gruden, to his credit, a guy who creates his own headlines himself for, for, for his own antics and wacky quotes and things that he does on the field, uh, you know, he has handled this surprisingly well. He's taken AB's side, backed him the entire way. Derek Carr posted on Instagram backing AB, saying, you know, he was there for him. They understood his his situation, and they supported him. You know, I give them a lot of credit. Obviously, AB puts them in a tough, tough situation with that whole situation. And, you know, I know we wouldn't want to get too analytical on this, but I do think that uh, a lot mm-hmm. of credit is deserved uh, for the Raiders franchise for how it's handled things thus far. Uh, all right. So, and also for the record, I thought we were considering the helmet debacle all in one. So I would have oh. picked that with my second one. But I respect oh. it. That's that's uh, yeah. That's sorry, we can totally we can totally no 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 no. no. All you head. all you no problem because I have uh, the best one for my third pick, which I actually Ooh. I thought you would take. Uh, so I'm a little excited. A B absolutely disrespecting the Bills. On social media, oh, after the damn. news came out, <laughs> the news came out that he was going to be traded to the Bills at about one in the morning, and everyone freaked out. Bills Mafia went wild. All this shit went down. 
fell through, didn't happen. Rumor came out he didn't want to trade play in Buffalo. Finally, he does sign with the Raiders and, of course, posts on Twitter the Drake meme where he's looking away from one thing and laughing at another. He's looking away from the Bills logo, laughing at the Raiders with the caption, stop playing, hashtag fake news, hashtag historical, fucking savage. I love it. AB, he just has no filter. Um, And this is the kind of stuff that reminds me of this league, you know, NBA type stuff that we're used to seeing. I think the (laughs) the NFL needs to pick up, you know, some of the slack here. They've got some great personalities that need to do stuff like this on Twitter. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, and and the problem is is that if there was a way to take the helmets off the football players and not kill them on the field, that would make things because you know with you just recognize the faces more in, in the NBA, mm-hmm. um, and, and so that plays a lot into it too. And what's crazy about that? And you're right, it completely slipped my mind. And the reason it did is because that happened. I want to say at like midnight when that news broke out. It was mm-hmm. like eleven mm-hmm. fifty midnight, and so it was one of those things that. The, the news broke so late in the night, and then within a few hours, it was debunked. And and yep. so that's all happening while people are either, you know, if they're not sleeping, they're out uh, doing whatever with their social lives. And so it was like this thing that if you weren't awake in that time slot, you woke up and you were like, wait, what happened? Uh, <laughs> but definitely, definitely an extreme uh, part about that. And just to let you know, dude, I would have loved Antonio Brown on the Buffalo Bills. Like, that would have been so much... I would have enjoyed it so much more than him on the Raiders, honestly, just because, you know, big. I'm a big Josh Allen guy. I, I do believe what they got going on in Buffalo. Uh, that would have been that would have been amazing to put him there. I'm not going to complain about him on the Raiders because especially with Hard Knocks and John Gruden, uh, it, it's just a fun show to watch. But, man, A.B. in Buffalo would have been very, very interesting. Honestly, I mean, you know... A lot of people like to talk about the Bills as like a savvy wild card pick. Uh, I've heard it a few times. I mean, you know, the consensus is they're not going to make the playoffs this year, but there are a few people who are sliding them into the bottom of the AFC considering how weak that field is, um, saying, you know, the Bills might make it. And I just think they lack a a superstar um, of that caliber, and I feel like AB would have been a huge missing piece for them. Uh, to come in and really complement that offense. So it it actually would have made a lot of sense for Buffalo to pull through with that trade, but ultimately here we are, uh, the Oakland experience. Yep. (laughs) I guess the Las Vegas experience now, but... Soon to be, soon to be. All right, we're recapping the picks. Blake, what what were your three picks? Yeah, so my first pick, of course, I went with the fact that he tried painting his helmet. I would love to see photos of what that actually looked like. Uh, My second pick... I went with uh, the bleached mustache, wild, wild stuff. And then the third was him walking away from football potentially because uh, he had to change his helmet. Those are my three picks. And I, of course, went with the frostbite, the infamous frostbite on his feet, to him disrespecting the Steelers on Twitter by taking their name out of the bio before he was even traded, and then the absolute destroying of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, with the Drake meme on Twitter so and Instagram. Funny. So good. Antonio Brown, you are a blessing to all of us, especially those of us who don't have you in fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> exactly. that would be a roller coaster. Oh, it's, it's such a headache. All right. We're going to go ahead and talk about some baseball before getting into the AFC South uh, preview. We're going to talk AL Central here in one of the most heated races that we have in Major League Baseball this season right now, the Minnesota Twins on top of the Indians by two and a half games for the division lead. As of right now, 
Fangraphs gives Minnesota a 98.2% chance of making the playoffs. Cleveland, an 88.6% chance. So both teams likely to be in the mix for a playoff spot. Um, as of right now, 76 and 48 for the Twins, 74 and 51 for the Indians. Blake, looking down the stretch here, which of these two teams do you think comes out on top of the Central, uh, and why do you think they have what it takes to get to the top by the end of the season? I mean, that, that's such a tough one, and both teams have been, you know, extremely uh, performing at a very high level, uh, especially post All Star break. So it is going to be a tough race down there. And you and you look at both teams, and unfortunately, I got to watch a lot of the um, Indians this past week, and they had a very good four game uh, stint with the Yankees that was split two and two. Um, and you you got to see a lot out there uh, from 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 the Indians. Um, what scares me about them right now is, of course, just the amount of injuries, and that might be why I give a small edge to Minnesota, given that they already have uh, that you know what is it two and a half game lead, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, we we got to a point where if you look at the Twins right now, um, you know Byron Buxton is uh, expected to be back by the start of September. Um, Nelson Cruz uh, was placed on the 10-day IL list, and he's expected to be activated in time for Monday's game against the White Sox. I believe that's next Monday, correct? Yes. I believe. Okay, and so they've got um, Max Kepler dealing with, uh, you know, an illness, and then Williams Osted... Ost- Whoa. Williams Estadio. Estadio, there you go. Okay, and, and it's likely <laughs> who's likely to come off the IL... Uh, in the early parts of September, and then you go to the Indians, and their list is just packed full of injuries. Of course, uh, you know, to name a few, uh, Carlos uh, Carrasco, who has been dealing with um, you know leukemia, uh, he is working on a throwing program. Expect to be back in September. You've got Corey Kluber, who was doing a rehab start, but they got pulled after one inning. Uh, I haven't seen anything new except for the fact that he might have suffered a potential setback uh, in that rehab start, uh, you know, trying to uh, come back from a broken arm. Uh, you look at Danny Salazar, who was placed on the 10-day t- IL with a groin strain. No timetable currently for his return. Uh, you know, just a couple days ago, um, they transferred Bradley Zimmer over to the 60-day IL. Uh, a whole list of injuries with the Indians. And then another thing that concerns me with Cleveland is some of the moves that they've made. They were very active at the trade deadline, of course, you know, getting Yasiel Puig, uh, also trading for Fren Mel Reyes. And Fren Mel Reyes has been slotted as their as their everyday uh, designated hitter, and that hasn't fared too well in his time in Cleveland. And, and maybe it's just one of those adjustments for him. But since arriving in Cleveland in, in 18 games, he's only batting 156. Uh, has two home runs and seven RBIs, but um, you know, back with uh, the Padres when he was there, he was hitting about 255 with 27 home runs and 46 RBIs. Um, so, uh, you know, what ha- if, if this is just a small adjustment? Is he going to be able to turn things back up by the end of the season to get into this playoff race and be able to make an impact uh, on the offensive end? Because they're set, uh, you know, leaving Puig in right field, of course, with his defensive abilities. And just keeping Reyes as the DH, um, but between the mix of, of injuries for them, I do have to give this slight edge, in my opinion, to the uh, to the Minnesota Twins to pull this thing out and, and win the division. Yeah, I mean, I want to go Indians just because of the way they turn things around. They've been one of the hottest teams in baseball, 
you know, we, we talk a lot about how Jose Ramirez got off to such a rough start uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning oh, yeah. of the year. Over his last 50 games, he has an OPS over 1,000. Uh, he has been good and good for over a month now. Um, I think we can safely say that he is back to his old self, which is huge for the Indians. But I think their lineup just has so many holes. I mean, you know, you mentioned Framel Reyes hasn't been the guy they hoped that he could be. Yasiel Puig has, has played really well in his uh, short oh, yeah. stint so far. Um, but the outfield has just kind of been uh, a big rotating um, carousel for that team. Uh, obviously, Tyler Naquin has been solid, but nothing spectacular. Man, if they had Michael Brantley in that lineup right now, uh, the, where they would be at right now, I mean, Brantley, you know, head-to-head with DJ LeMayu for uh, the, the best non-trout award uh, in the American League uh, so far this season. I would I would love to see what that offense could do, but I think there are just too many holes. Um, you know, they're relying on 33-year-old Carlos Santana, uh, who's having a great year. Obviously, Frankie Lindor and Jose Ramirez are anchoring the middle of that lineup. But there just been so many guys who really haven't uh, played to their potential this year, and I- I'm not totally confident uh, that they're going to be able to stack on the runs. That being said, they do have the best bullpen in baseball at a time when bullpens are struggling historically. Um, mm-hmm. I saw an article in ESPN today, Buster Olney, for uh, right now, uh, entering play today on Monday, um, August 19th, uh, as far as league uh, rates go, the starters ERA was the same as the bullpen ERA. The last wow. time that the bullpen ERA was not better than the starters was 1969. Uh, so Ooh, we're at a time sick. where bullpens are really struggling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <Nice>. So <laughs> this, the fact that this team's bullpen is doing very well definitely bodes well for them down the stretch. Um, you know, they're going to be able to hold leads. That's important. Um, but not getting Corey Kluber back is big. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, they felt like they could trade Trevor Bauer because they knew they had Kluber coming back. They thought they were uh, bullish on Carrasco possibly making a return. I mean, you know, you still have guys like Shane Zieber, Shane Zieber, Shane Bieber, Zach Sack, <laughs> Mike Clevenger, I can't talk, anchoring the top of that rotation, solid ERAs all around. Uh, they've been doing pretty well, but the underlying numbers um, – on Zach Plesak suggests that he's going to regress considerably. Uh, yeah. You don't really know, um, you know, about guys like Adam Pukko uh, at the back of that rotation, whether or not he's going to be able to give you reliable innings. Uh, so there are just a couple of question marks on this team that I'm not sure about. And then you compound that with the fact that the Twins have the easiest record and uh, the easiest remaining schedule in all of baseball uh, mm-hmm. for the rest of the season. The Indians aren't too far behind. They have the fourth easiest. Um, but the fact that the Twins have it light, uh, and that the Twins have played so well on the road this season. Uh, they have one of the best road records in baseball right now, sitting at 40-22, and 22, uh, which is actually better than their home record. They've played the same number of games and only have 36 wins at home, so they've actually been a better team on the road than they have at home. That's the, the sign of a very good team, uh, very gritty organization. So uh, with the way that this team has been hitting the, the Twins, um, obviously they have a few injuries, but we expect uh, guys like Nelson Cruz and Byron Buxton to be back soon. Max Kepler, obviously, uh, dealing with a day-to-day injury. He should be back. I mean, this this lineup top to bottom is so deep. I think they could have used another starting pitcher at the deadline. They didn't get one, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that their offense is good enough to make up for that in a regular season basis. Now, I'm talking about the postseason. That's a different conversation. Um, yeah. You know, they, they traded for a guy like Sam Dyson, who I think is going to be a huge addition at the back of their bullpen there. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in the Twins being able to close out this division uh, You know, with that plus 144 run differential. There's a lot to like about this team. Mm, certainly. And I was going to ask you what your you know, your biggest, 
you know, if you had a, to nitpick a concerns, but it does seem like the back end of that starting rotation seems to be where you're looking at. I mean, you know, Michael Pineda has a 4.20 ERA. That's also sick. Uh, you know, Martin Perez. Uh, we're on well, fire today. Yeah, I know. We're getting all the great numbers today. <laughs> uh, you look at some of their other starters, Kyle Gibson, 4.28, Martin Perez, 4.53. Uh, like you said, they did make moves for Sam Dyson, uh, you know, moving him on from the San Francisco Giants. Uh, you look at the bullpen, Taylor Rogers, uh, 19 saves, Blake Parker, 10 saves with them. Uh, Blake Parker is the only one in that real tight-knit group of the bullpen with an ERA of above uh, 4. Taylor Rogers has a 2.59. Uh, was there anything that sticks out to you? I know you talked about how easy their schedule remains uh, and that you really liked some of the uh, – the, the, um, Position players on offense, does anything else stand out to you aside from that back end of the pitching staff as a concern for you in Minnesota? Uh, you know, I, I really think that the biggest concern to me about the Twins is the presence of the Indians. Uh, you know, this is a gotcha. team that has lost back-to-back uh, -back ALDSs uh, in the past two years after losing in the World Series heartbreaker Game 7 against the Cubs back in 2016. And who are the two teams that the Indians have lost to the past two years in those ALDS series? The Astros and the Yankees, two teams that they would face uh, mm -hmm. regardless of whether or not they win the division or advance from the wildcard game. They're going to face one of those two teams in an ALDS, uh, a chance for them to get some revenge. So this team's hungry. This team's experienced. It's seen you know, pennant races before. I would not be surprised to see it absolutely go off and you know win this division. I just think that the Twins are the the more well-rounded roster as of right now. But you know, there's a lot of heart on this Indians team, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them you know go on some kind of tear and actually win this thing. Right, and we both would agree that in the AL we would put them beneath the Astros and the Yankees at this point in the season, right? Or or would you think that a team like Minnesota or Cleveland maybe has a little bit of an upper edge on on New York? Um, you know, I would say, yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely put the Astros and the Yankees as the clear cut number two teams. I mean, I think the twins and the Indians are the next up, uh, you can throw the Rays yeah. in there too. Um, uh -huh. the Rays have been a little bit shaky in my opinion. Uh, I don't know how deep that roster is, whether or not it'd be able to make a playoff run. I think the Indians honestly are better built for the playoffs than the twins, given their definitely. rotation, uh, assuming that everybody's healthy, you know, how well that bullpen's been playing. I mean, pitching rules in the postseason and. You know the, the Yankees have a great bullpen in their own right. In their own right, I mean the, the Indians lead the league in ER, bullpen ERA. The Yankees lead the league in bullpen WAR. So those are two powerhouses. Uh, thank God they're in the American League. Uh, I cannot complain uh, as a Nats <laughs> supporter, but um, right. you know that's that's going to be a very low scoring series if we see the Indians go against the Yankees, and that's where I think the Yankees could have some trouble is because their rotation isn't as deep. Uh, you know they obviously right. have a fantastic yeah. lineup. Um, you know it's going to be a question of can the Yankees starters outlast the Indians hitters, uh, you know, which part would be the, the, you know, which way would it go? I, you know, I don't want to predict anything right now. I want to see how the rest of the season goes uh, before we start talking postseason. But as far as this pennant race goes, uh, you know, I, the AL Central is a division to watch. You know, I think the Nats are within a striking distance uh, in the NL East, five and a half games back. They still have plenty of games against the Braves. Uh, obviously, they're going to need a few things to go their way in order to, to narrow that ground. The, the NL Central, you know, it's just not the same caliber of teams like like we see with the Twins and the Indians, uh, the not, Cardinals, no. Cubs, and Brewers. You know, none of those teams really stand out to me uh, as true threat World Series threats. I mean, the Brewers have a negative run differential. The Cubs have been had just a terrible week. Uh, that huge, you know, Bryce Harper yeah. uh, walk off Grand Slam highlight Ooh. that you kept seeing. You know, the Cubs were on the other end of that, <laughs> yeah. uh, and they they 
after, that came after Hugh Darvish uh, threw an excellent game, seven innings, um, gave them, you know, they were in the lead, I think, believe by three runs uh, yeah. at that point. They turned it over the bullpen. Craig Kimbrell has been terrible for them uh, since he came over. I think he's still hurt right now. Uh, no, um, he's, he came back a couple days ago, or yesterday. The, yeah. He came back okay. yesterday, yeah. And then the Cardinals have obviously just been, you know, so up and down. I think one of the streakiest teams in baseball. We saw them win, rip off ten straight wins, and then they'll go and, you know, go one and eight on a nine-game stretch. So it's just, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really know what you're going to get with the Cardinals. None of those teams necessarily stand out to me. So I think that the AL Central, that two-team race, is the most intriguing one to me. Yeah, certainly. It's going to be a fun road to the end. And both of them, like you were saying, have fairly easy schedules. So, you know, we could end up seeing these guys with some pretty impressive records. But it'll come down to who's got that edge. And uh, right now Minnesota seems to be, in both of our opinions, uh, have the slider edge over Cleveland. Absolutely. All right, that's going to – any more final things on the Indians or Twins, Blake? I don't think so. I would rather see, you know, teams like the Orioles or, or you know, maybe uh, – God, what are some other teams that are really bad? Detroit. Royals. I, I'd love I'd love to see those guys in the playoffs against New York. Uh, that would make my life a little <laughs> bit less stressful. Um, but I guess we'll get some energy. I mean, dude, this four-game series between uh, between Cleveland and New York was really exciting. They they roughed up Sabathia on the last day and, and absolutely clobbered the Yankees in game one. But uh, sun, or Friday and Saturday's games were both uh, very... Uh, very highly contested battles. I think it, it was uh, three to two for New York, and then six to four on those two Yankees wins. So, very good games, and uh, yeah, man, it, it's it's a great time to be a, a fan of, of baseball, football, all that. It really is because uh, after last night's game of the Nats tying their uh, club record of eight home runs in a game and their sixteen to eight route Ooh. with the Brewers, yeah, they're now yeah. up seven to nothing in the second inning off of three home runs already against the uh, Pirates. So nobody is swinging the bat better than the Nats right now. Absolutely love it. Um, All right, we're going to go ahead and talk some football now. AFC South. Blake has been so excited about doing this division. Obviously, his Colts are in here. We're going to go ahead and break all of these teams down, starting with the 5-11 Jacksonville Jaguars of last season, one of the more disappointing teams in all of football last year after the Jaguars went to the AFC Championship game the year prior. Blake Bortles has an all-time disappointing season. They finished with a minus 71 point differential on the season, a 313 winning percentage, just an all-time flop for them. They then go out and sign Nick Foles this offseason to shore up their quarterback position. Blake Bortles is no longer in Jacksonville. They are hopefully for them, starting a new era where their defense bounces back after an up-and-down last year. Blake, what is the biggest storyline for you entering the season with the Jacksonville Jaguars? Yeah, man, it's it's not alone the impact that Nick Foles has, you know, as in terms of an upgrade over Blake Bortles, but it's the impact that it has on the team around them. I mean, there are some very talented skill players that I think we just haven't come to recognize as great talents because they had what was one of the worst starting quarterbacks of all time under center. And, you know, unfortunately, Jacksonville stuck with him as long as they did, but, you know, fortunately we're on in a new chapter. I've, I've gone through years and years of ranting about Blake Bortles, so I'm officially excited to, you know, I wish him all the luck. Hopefully he gets that Super Bowl championship with the Los Angeles Rams down the road. But uh, for Jacksonville, it's an extremely exciting time. And, it, you know, it's not even, like I was saying, with, with adding in Nick Foles and the impact uh, on the skill players, but also getting a new offensive coordinator in there. They did lose Nathaniel Hackett, which is 
a, a very disappointing uh, loss, but bringing in John DiFilippo, I know he had his problems in Minnesota, didn't get along with the head coach, but maybe things will go right down here in this system. But we're going to see big years out of guys like uh, DJ Chark, D.D. Westbrook, uh, Keelan Cole. Those guys are wide receivers that are very talented players, especially Chark and Westbrook, uh, who should both be uh, slotted to start. I know Westbrook will probably mostly work in the slot position, um, but those two guys I expect big seasons from just because they have you know an accurate quarterback, a guy that can push the ball down the field, a guy that's not afraid uh, you know to make mistakes occasionally because he knows that the benefit of of always pushing the envelope most more likely than not results in success for him. Um, and then and then the other big guy that I think we're going to see a big uh, bounce back season for is Leonard Fournette under center uh, or you know behind uh, Nick Foles. Um, really, when he's healthy, he's a very talented running back. He's dealt with some injury concerns, but I also think we're going to see a lot of him in the uh, in the passing game, something that we haven't really seen yet. They've kind of used him as just a ground-and-pound guy to get you four yards a carry. Um, Leonard Fournette, I think, is going to have a lot more um, usage rate in the passing game because, of course, they don't even have uh, Chris Ivory anymore. TJ Yeldon is not there anymore. Those two guys took up a lot of the touches in the receiving game. Right now, it's the Leonard Fournette show. I know Alfred Blue is back there as the RB two, but we're going to see a lot of uh, Leonard Fournette. We're going to see a you know, you know, seasons that are going to pop out of nowhere apparently from DJ Chark and DD Westbrook just because they didn't have the right quarterback throwing them the ball. Um, and and uh, honestly, overall offensively, I expect a much more successful season. Not to mention, uh, you know, of course, bringing in a guy like Jawan Taylor uh, to play right tackle for you guys, getting him in the second round to an already. Pretty good offensive line. Uh, just, I think if there was one way, to, if there was just you know a couple words to recap the the mini rant I just went on, just more excitement on offense, and and that's going to be great to see. Absolutely, I'm going to go, you know, just real quick before we leave the quarterback discussion. The best quarterbacks of the Jaguars in the 2000s would be Mark Brunel and David Gerard. Uh, two names that have been <laughs> left in the dust. Two. Uh, both of them made Pro Bowls at least once with Jacksonville. That's crazy. Um, but not exactly names that jump off the pages. So hopefully Big Dick Nick can be the guy to turn that around uh, for Jacksonville. Now, oh, yeah. on the defensive side, the defense didn't necessarily live up to the levels that we were used to uh, seeing out of them overall. They still finished fourth and fifth, respectively, uh, in points and yards allowed. So good seasons for them, but they came off of being top two in the league in both categories. Uh, you know, obviously the offense not being able to hold its own made it a lot more difficult for the defense uh, in order they had to be on the field a lot more. But I think this the strength of this defense begins and ends with its secondary, namely its top two corners, Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye. Uh, Bouye limited to 13 games last year. Ramsey played all 16, only three interceptions, though 13 passes defended. Uh, not necessarily after him coming off of an all-pro season, uh, wasn't the all-pro level we expected to see out of him. A.J. Bouye, like I said, only had 13 games. He only had one interception on the year, eight passes defended, both of which were a big step back from his strong 2017 numbers. Uh, both players relatively young, Bouye entering his age 28 season, Ramsey entering his age 25, but this is going to be huge for this defense in order to bounce back uh, after such a rough last season. Yeah, and, and I completely agree. I'm going to stay on the defensive side, and I'm going to just come out, and, and we need to remind everybody that this is the most talented defense in all of football. I know there are very nice defenses over in Chicago. Uh, Denver consistently has a great defense. Baltimore is always good. 
But just look at, you know, if you just took a look at the starting lineup for the Jacksonville Jaguars, you could have a defensive line that's Yannick Ngakwe as long as he comes back and suits up, Calais Campbell, Marcel Darius, and Josh Allen, the seventh overall pick uh, out of Kentucky this past year. Then you have probably one of the best young linebackers in football in Miles Jack. The two potentially, you know, two top five corners in Ramsey and Bouye. Um, and then you've got a guy like uh, Ronnie Harrison back there at strong safety who is taking over from, oh, God, old, old, uh, old safety that used to play with Dallas. I'm, I'm not going to try and remember his name, but he's slotted in there. He was a second or third round pick last year out of Alabama. This is the most talented defense. Uh, I believe that Doug Marone is a, is a tremendous coach, uh, one of the really old school um, aggressive smash-mouth football guys. Him and Tom Coughlin work perfectly together up there in Jacksonville. Uh, to me, this is just one of those situations where I just think, it, I do think it has to be a bounce-back season. And, and you look at one of the, you know, you take a look at their turnovers from the year before. Um, you know, the, the, the turnovers, they had 17, 11 interceptions, 6 fumble recoveries. And they also looked, they had a sack margin of minus 16, so they allowed 53 and only uh, you were able to bring opposing quarterbacks down 37 times. I just think that this is going to be one of those reboot years. I think there's more excitement in the in, in the locker room when you've got you know confidence on the offensive side that they can help you out because back when Jacksonville was the number one defense uh, two years ago, it, it wasn't like they had too much help on the offensive side. They did make it to an AFC championship uh, but as we saw there, their offense couldn't be relied on. I think that, you know, this past year is just a minor hiccup, and they're going to be, you know, coasting as the number one defense in 2019. Yeah, I think, honestly, the, the big thing that they're really going to have to replace on that defensive side is Telvin Smith, uh, yeah. the middle linebacker uh, who finished last year 16 games, uh, team leader in tackles, won't be playing in 2019, stepping away from the team uh, with – what I guess is family issues. He said football isn't everything. Um, he's on the non-football reserve list. Um, so he is not going to be with the team for this season, which opened up a big hole uh, in the middle of that defense. They're going with third-round pick Quincy Adams, or sorry, Quincy Adams, Quincy <laughs> Williams, uh, as the weak side middle linebacker next to Miles Jack, uh, a, a fantastic player in his own right. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Williams steps up this year whether he can be that, that starting caliber player, a third-round pick. Obviously, you don't come in with high expectations, but given uh, how big of a hole that's going to be in the middle of that defense, Williams is going to have a lot of pressure in his rookie year. Definitely. And so the last thing that I was that I have been doing is I take a look at the schedule of my third and final topic. And to me, the, the tough games on the schedule are spaced out enough where I don't think they could get themselves in a really bad stretch. They start off the season at home against Kansas City. Very tough matchup. I, I'm going to love watching the Kansas City offense and all their speed match up with Jalen Ramsey and Bouye and Miles Jack running around the field. That's going to be a great Week 1 matchup. Week 6, they play the New Orleans Saints, another great offensive-defensive matchup. Uh, and then, of course, they play the Colts twice in Week 11 beyond, and they play the Chargers at home in Week 14. Uh, the only really other game that stands out to me is a, is a real tough one is they have to go on the road to Atlanta in Week 16. Um, some teams can get really unfortunate with the way their schedule pans out with, you know, starting off six, you know, very difficult games in the first, you know, month and a half. Or maybe, you know, you start off hot and then you got a really tough stretch in the latter half of the season. But to me, the tough games are spaced out enough where, 
even if you lose those games, it's not like they're all bunched together and then momentum swings in such a you know a negative tone for the team. My final pick here is the X factor on this offense, uh, which will decide whether or not uh, Blake or sorry, not Blake Bortles. I am <laughs> saying all kinds of wrong things today. Nick Foles. Uh, has uh, something to work with here, and that's his running back, Leonard Leonard Fournette, who is in a make-or-break season this year, his third year in the NFL. Last year was limited to just eight games, only had 439 rushing yards, five touchdowns. He is in a a big year contractually, uh, being paid for $2.9 million, but his cap hit is over $7 million. That's the highest it's been uh, on his rookie deal. And next year, that rises to 8.6. So he would be a big candidate to be cut uh, next offseason if he were to have a dud of a year. He's really going to need to prove himself, prove his worth uh, as a former number four overall pick and show the Jaguars that they made the right decision to bring him on. He's obviously had some Mm -hmm. off-the-field issues as well, uh, being suspended by the team, missing games that way. Uh, So he's going to need to stay on the field, stay in line, and put up some better numbers than he's had uh, over his first two years. Yeah, certainly. That's going to be a big part of that offensive success, finding a good balance to also alleviate some pressure off folds as he gets accustomed to his new receivers. Um, l- listen, man, if you, can't, if you can't tell my optimism in the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's right back there. Um, just as it was in 2017, uh, you know, they, they were, you know, just a couple plays away from a Super Bowl berth uh, after a 10-6 and six season. Of course, unfortunately, things don't work out last year. They, they fall all the way to last place, 5-11. and 11 in the AFC South. I think they get right back to that 10-6 and six record, and that's where I'm pinning them at right now. And I am saying the Jacksonville Jaguars, I've got them making it uh, as a wild card team in these playoffs. And I think it's a big jump back up there. I think there's a lot of optimism around the team and reasons to be excited. And, and man, the, the schedule gets easy. When you, when you have a last-place schedule, I can't... It's so easy when you have games against the Buccaneers, the Raiders, the Bengals, the Broncos, uh, you know... You know, you get to play the Titans twice. Uh, you know, there's just so many things that could go right for Jacksonville this year. Um, to me, this is a very, very dangerous team. Um, I would have them going a little bit. I do think this is a better overall team than back in 2017, but I also think the division is a little bit more difficult than it was back then. Of course, 2017, there was no Andrew Luck in, in the NFL. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson was a young up-and-comer. So, to me, Jacksonville is a better team than in 2017, but the same record, 10-6, and six, and makes the playoffs as a wild-card team. Yeah, I'm not as bullish on the Jaguars as you are. I have Ooh. them going 7-9 and nine this year. This is our first real big deviation, Blake. I do not mm-hmm. have them making the playoffs. Um, I won't spoil where I have them in the division because it's going to hinge ah, on my, yes. Titans, <laughs> my Titans pick here. But um, I will say that uh, I, I just don't know if, if year one of the Nick Foles era is going to pan out. There's uh, obviously the question about the middle of their defense. I don't believe in Fournette. They don't have the best. Uh, I think... Some people have been trying to argue that their wide receiving core is is underrated. I'm not a huge fan of the guys they have back there. Certainly, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw D.D. Westbrook take a step forward this year, but there's just no depth. Uh, You know, we we go to just to number two wide receivers on the list, and you get to D.J. Chark, Chris Conley, Keelan Cole, Terrell Pryor. I mean, these are not guys that really are jumping off the page to me. Uh, I'm I'm not. I like Doug Marone. I think that he's been doing a, a good job there. John D. Filippo coming in as the offensive coordinator. Go Dukes. Um, I, I certainly you know have reason to believe in them, uh, and that's why I think they're going to take a bit of a step forward this year. But they're only going to finish seven and nine uh, in what's going to be a pretty crowded AL oh. wild card race or AL AFC wild card <laughs> race. Yeah, definitely. 
All right, so moving on, though, we do have the Titans, who last year finished 9-7 and seven in what seems to be Titans fashion, uh, where they have finished yes. among the middle of the pack almost every single year. Yeah, uh, dude, nine and seven for the third straight season. Actually, it's, insane. Um, it, it's it's really the epitome of consistency. But at the same time, uh, a lot of people are very high on Mike Vrabel. Think that he came in and did a good job with them. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, obviously the defense uh, took a great step forward last year. Uh, was among the better defenses in all of football, actually. Um, but Blake, what is your biggest storyline with the Titans? Yeah, the biggest storyline with Tennessee, and it's just like the biggest storyline with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over in the NFC South, is that I'm pretty sure we're, we're at Marcus Mariota's last rodeo uh, as the starting quarterback for Tennessee. Um, you know, not to say that he's not a talented quarterback, but I think you come a point now where you're consistently showing that you can be a winning team. Three consistent seasons of 9-7 and seven with Mariota as your quarterback. He misses games here and there, of course. But the fact that you, you you take away Mariota and maybe you put in a quarterback that's just a little bit better, and then you've got an overall team that could be a, a 10 and 6 and 11 and 5 and making pushes in the postseason, Mariota just isn't that guy. He's not consistent. Um, you know, the injuries are a concern. We thought his running impact would be way greater than it actually is. And, and it's just one of those things, man. It, it, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, the former number two overall pick uh, just a couple years back, but. Hopefully there's a, a right opportunity out there for him, but I don't think it's in Tennessee. Yeah, I'm going over to the defensive side, and my, my player to watch is the best safety in football, Kevin Byard. The fact that he ha- isn't a bigger name uh, than he is now is an absolute crime uh, and just shows you that everybody really only pays attention to fantasy and they're not paying enough attention to the defensive side of the ball. But he became the highest-paid safety in football this past offseason, agreed to a Five-year, $70.5 million extension, including $31 million guaranteed, and it's absolutely deserved. He's been an absolute force for this t- Tennessee defense uh, throughout his career and has been a key cog for them. All-pro last year, led the league with eight interceptions, did rack up as well uh, 87 combined tackles, or sorry, 90 combined tackles. Um, I'm really excited for what he's going to do in his fourth season in the league. Uh, and moving forward, the Titans' secondary is in good hands. Certainly a very talented secondary back there. Um, you know, I'm staying on the offensive side with the biggest, you know, the second biggest thing I guess that stands out to me, and I just can't understand for the life of me why this team doesn't have more success in the run game. Um, you know, they've got a very talented offensive line, you know, tackle to tackle, very good. Of course, they're missing Taylor Wan for the first four games um, with that suspension, but Roger Saffold at, at guard, you've got Conklin over on right tackle, you've got Delaney Walker, a good blocking tight end, and then you've also got, like I said, a dual quarterback in Marcus Mariota, it's not as great of a running threat as you would hope it would be, and then you've also got a, a good duo in Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis, but since 2016, um, their run success rate on first down has you know, consistently continued to drop, uh, they ran it uh, 54% of the time on first downs back in 2016, had a 52% success rate. Very good, uh, very good numbers. You know, league average is right around there. 2017 dropped all the way down to a 45% success rate. This past year, 44% success rate on those first down rushes. So for some reason, um, as good of an offensive line is, as good as the running back committee back there is, it just doesn't, for some reason, it's just not working. And I think it might be because uh, defenses know that they can stack the box a little on Mariota, and it's not really a big threat to push it deep. Um, but, man, you know, 
something's got to click here in this run offense because they've got Derrick Henry is a freak of nature running back and and he'll have two or three games a season where he'll pop off and it'll be like whoa the Derrick Henry game but we need consistency on the offense whether that's schematically the way that they're designing their run plays whether it's Derrick Henry being used in more unique situations or just overall more confidence in the run game. It, it, it really is the determining factor to not only have more success running the ball, but open other opportunities up in play action, rollouts, where Mariota can have better opportunities to find some of his wide receivers. Also, speaking of wide receivers, my other X factor on the offensive side is Adam Humphreys. Corey Ooh, Davis has I been like a bit of a flop uh, for that offense. Uh, ever since being a first-round pick. They bring in Humphreys from Tampa Bay, who had a quietly very effective year, 816 yards. Man, that Tampa offense had so many guys racking up yards. Oh, uh, yeah, I of mean, course. We ha- Chris Godwin finished with 800-plus. You had Humphreys finishing with 800-plus. Deshaun Obviously, Jackson. Mike Evans was in there. as, as the, I think he led the league in receiving yards. I mean, geez, <laughs> that offense was pretty prolific at times, but... Anyway, coming in here, Humphreys, uh, not a big guy, 5'11", 195, figures to be a, a bit of a slot guy, but I think mm-hmm. he profiles as you know the type of receiver that we could be seeing Mariota target a lot. He likes to throw over the middle of the field, uh, has, doesn't have the best arm in the league. I could see him uh, running a lot of slants and corners, uh, getting open after the secondary is pulled away to other players who are a lot taller and bigger deep threats. I could see him putting up a 1,000-yard season. I'm really interested. If Mariota does take that step forward, I think, honestly, Humphreys uh, serves to benefit more than anybody else on the team. Yeah, certainly. And so my, my last topic with the Titans looking over at their schedule, uh, you know, it's not too bad. There are some tough games that are bunched in tight together. Of course, they start off the season at Cleveland, then they play at home against the Colts, and then, a, you know, Week three and four matchup, they travel to Jacksonville and Atlanta, so a tough first month. And then they also don't finish the easiest way either. You know, weeks 10 through 17, they have to play the Chiefs, uh, the Jaguars, the Colts, the Texans twice, and the Saints. Their only real light game between weeks 10 and 17 is the Raiders in week 14. And who knows, they could be potentially be a better team than they were last year. I know many people expect them to be. Uh, so not that easy of a schedule for them. Um, you know, hope you have to hope on those you know couple months stretch from week five to eleven that maybe they could get some of those easy wins in there. Maybe take a Buffalo, a Denver, a Tampa Bay, but it's really not uh, too great of a layout for the Titans this upcoming year. No, and my final piece is Cameron Wake, who comes over from Miami after spending his entire career there, entering his age thirty-seven season. Old man Wake oh, yeah. coming in here, looking just. Back 2016-2017, he finished with 10-plus sacks in back-to-back years, which would be huge. The Titans did not have anybody break double-digit sacks last season. Uh, they haven't really had a prolific pass or pass rusher uh, in the past couple years. Cameron Wake, who actually is from DeMatha, uh, DeMatha Catholic, which is a high school I used to play uh, in when I went to high school, uh, WCIC represent. I didn't actually know that, just looking at his pro football reference page. Um, but... <laughs> You know, they're, they're going to be relying on him maybe a little bit more than, you know, he might be able to shoulder at his age. He did miss two games last year, uh, did have a big injury back in 2015 that limited him to seven. Uh, so, and like I said, getting up there in age, he's going to need to play at Cameron Wake level, uh, and that's going to be a, a big if for this defense. Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, a lot of questions around Tennessee. Of course, three years of nine and seven. It's going to be interesting to see how the quarterback situation pans out for Tennessee. I originally had their uh, I originally had their win total at eight and eight, 
but I've talked myself into being less optimistic. I really don't think that schedule has many great opportunities. They're a very physical team, so I think maybe when it gets to the later parts of the season, when it gets a little bit colder out there, they might be able to you know, steal a game from the Texans, or maybe the Jags in Week 12. Uh, but to me, the Tennessee Titans, uh, they're going to flip their, their record from the past three years. Uh, they're going to go 7-9, and nine, and I have them finishing tied against the bottom of the AFC South. Yeah, well, I'm going to have them at the bottom of the AFC South, snapping that nine and seven streak. But they're going to be going four and twelve this whoa, year, whoa. Uh, yeah, taking a big step back. I don't believe oh, Mariota shit. is going to be the guy at all. Uh, I don't believe that Derrick Henry's flashes are sustainable over the course of a full season. I don't know if a guy like Wake can be their top uh, rusher, and their depth really just doesn't stand out to me as a team that can sustain an entire sixteen game season. So I'm going with four and twelve, and what is Whoa. definitely a shocker, for Pitt, <laughs> Dude. <laughs> uh, but I, I just don't believe in the Titans, and they're a team that have just middled in the middle, in the middle, middled in the middle of the pack uh, for years and years, and at some point, a team like that bottoms out. Uh, And I don't believe that the Titans have done anything in the draft that really says me, okay, they've made some savvy picks. They're going to be making a jump forward. I think that at some Mm -hmm. point you just get beating that same drum eventually will wear you down. Dude, I, you know, I, I was very surprised, but I, I don't blame you at all. There's so many questions. You know, Mariota is hitting his third offensive coordinator in just as many years. Going through that many changes as the quarterback or maybe the offensive lineman or even Derrick Henry. You know, you, you want to have a consistent playbook every year. So that's a huge question. Their first draft pick, Jeffrey Simmons, defensive tackle, is going to miss the entire uh, rookie season, and he was considered a top-five talent. So when he does get back, that's going to be great for Tennessee, but you're also spending another year without him. I do think they stole A.J. Brown in the in the middle of the middle to end of the second round. He should slot up uh, opposite of Corey Davis with Humphreys in the slot. But, yeah, dude, there's a, there's a ton of questions, and the AFC South is not getting worse for sure. So I don't, I don't blame you at all. I Four and twelve, man. That's going to be a tough season. <laughs> they're going to have to. They're at that point. They are going to move on. They're, there's no question about moving on from Mariota, and they're going to be able to nab one of those top quarterbacks in in the 2020 draft. Tua to Tennessee. Hey. Oh, dude! If they <laughs> replace, dude, if they replace Mariota with Tua and just go back to back Hawaii guys, <laughs> that is going to be move. insane. <laughs> Wow, I love it. Well, I love it. I was I was looking up and down my my predictions because I have them all you know written down, and I, yeah. I tried to make them mathematically uh, correct. They're not oh, yeah. exactly uh, you know all the way up where like every team adds up to whatever the number yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have it a little you know a little off uh, just because you know I wanted to take a win there or whatever. But I was realizing I had too many teams with just too high of records, so I had to knock some teams down, and the Titans oh, yeah. were one of the teams that kind of got the, the hook. So, <laughs> yeah, unfortunate. Uh, sorry, Tennessee, but <laughs> that's how it's got to be. All right, we're moving on to Blake's squad, the Indianapolis Colts, who finished 10-6 and last year. Uh, a great season. Andrew Luck takes a step forward. Blake, I don't want to steal any of your thunder, so you go right ahead. Tell me what is your biggest uh, thing you're looking to- forward to with the Colts in 2019. Yeah, well, the biggest the biggest thing that sticks out to the Colts for me, and maybe I am misguided when I say this, but I think this is um, one of those teams in the NFL that you just have the least amount of questions about. I think they're tremendously well coached. Both of their coordinators, uh, Nick Sirianni on offense, and uh, God, don't let me forget my man Eberflus on defense. Uh, both of them interviewed for head coaching gigs this past year, so they definitely, in their first seasons uh, in Indianapolis, made some very heavy. Um, you know, uh, 
what am I trying to say? They made heavy impressions on the NFL. So coaching, I don't have questions about. Uh, the offensive line turned around and, and was the best offensive line in football statistically last year. That's not a question. Uh, you take a look at all their skill positions on offense. Wide receiver, they are set. Running back, they've got a three-headed monster back there that should do just fine behind Marlon Mack leading the way. The question is Andrew Luck's health. Is he going to be available uh, You know, to play the full season? We talked about this last week. An encouraging video came out before their preseason game this past weekend uh, that showed him doing some pretty nice uh, footwork along the uh, backside of the end zone. Um, hopefully the plan might be to return him to practice these next few days. Of course he's not going to play in any preseason games. Um, but to me, that's the only question that I have from this team being good to great. Because I think as long as Luck is under center, this has potential to be uh, a great team in the NFL next year. You know, my biggest thing, entering the offseason, a lot of people were really excited about the Colts because they entered the offseason with the most cap space of any team in all of football. It's a storyline that's been repeated over and over again. And yet the Colts really didn't do a whole lot, uh, mm-hmm. didn't make any massive deals, uh, no, no real blockbuster signings. Credit to Chris ba- Ballard for keeping that open. A lot of people have been you know, low on the Colts for, the, for that reason, you know, saying that they should have done more. There are a couple holes that they could have filled. But you know what? I really like that they're going to go into the season with a lot of payroll flexibility because that kind of gives them the chance to make some additions midseason. We've been seeing an uptick in the number of trades made in the middle of the year uh, over the past three or four seasons. And I think the Colts could be the latest team to really take advantage of that trend and recognize, okay, what exactly isn't going well for us right now and how can we fix that problem? They have the space to do it to bring on a big contract if they need to. I think that the Colts are going to be one of the the most active teams at the trade deadline this year. So I guess my my biggest X factor for the Colts this year is a player that's not yet on the team Hmm. uh, because I think they're going to be very active uh, and probably make a move or two uh, some point during the season. Yeah, and beyond that, um, and this transitions into kind of what I want to make my second big topic, is is Chris Ballard has so much trust in his, his own draft capabilities that he doesn't feel the need to take what's out on the open market, what might be overvalued. You know, some of the things that we take a look at at the end of each NFL season is who are the most overpaid guys. And you'll never see those guys on the Colts roster because they don't make choices like that that could potentially harm them. They're all about playing it safe, trusting the guys that they draft. And and you take a look, you know, the big reason for having all that cap space, you're going to have to pay so many guys in the coming years. You know, Ryan Kelly is the next guy up due for an extension along with Anthony Costanzo. You're going to have to pay Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith down the road. You're going to have to pay guys like Darius Leonard, Malik Hooker in the near future. So there are some guys that, you know, you got to keep that cap space open if you want to retain everybody. And that seems to be the way Chris Ballard wants to structure his team. And that leads into my second point, which is just about about just the, the success of Chris Ballard and his scouting department in terms of, of young success built through the draft class. I mean, you take a look at the guys that they've drafted. Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, and Braden Smith, all three starting offensive linemen. Uh, you know, Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly first-round picks, Braden Smith taken in the second round, or maybe early third, I can't remember, but I think it was second. Then you take a look on the defensive line. Tyquan Lewis was a, a, a late second-round pick two years ago. Darius Leonard, second-round pick last year. Malik Hooker was a first-round pick back in 2017. Uh, you know, you've got guys like Quincy Wilson, who's finally, you know, expected to start uh, on the outside this upcoming year. And then reports are from camp that they have three guys in this draft class that they expect to be starters by the end of the season. Uh, that's a guy like Rakia Sin, uh, their first pick that they took at 34, corner out of Temple. 
just a raw guy that needs to get his feet under the ground, but they think he's got starter potential. Then you go with one of three linebackers that could take over the spot for Anthony Walker. They got EJ Speed, who has been lights out in training camp is the word, is that he's going to be this next golden find, kind of like Darius Leonard was. He was taken in the fifth round out of Tarleton State. I don't know where that is. Uh, <laughs> I don't either. Got, yeah, and then you've got, you know, their guys that they took in the second round. Paris Campbell is going to start as the slot receiver for this year, and he's going to be a massive chess piece, uh, you know, in the run game on reverses. They've already shown that in the preseason, working the middle of the field along with the tight ends. Um, and then, of course, you know, you've got guys like Bobby Okariki from Stanford, Ben Bonogu. Uh, you know, they just drafted all these athletic players that, for some reason, they expect to be starters by the end of their year. I think you're just seeing, you know, the big jump again for the Colts this year is not only going to be just building off of what they had last year, but if they can get the same impact from their rookie class this year as they had in 2018. We know the all-pro seasons that Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard had as rookies. Uh, what What is going to be the rookie success will really determine how far this team uh, can go in providing depth and also some starting positions late in the season. Staying with my pass rusher theme, I'm talking Justin Houston, who's Huge. coming over from Kansas City. The Definitely the biggest move that the Colts did make this past offseason, mm-hmm. signing him to a one-year $14 million deal. He technically could be under contract for next year. I think that they're just spreading out the money somehow yeah. uh, to lower his cap hit. So um, one year, $14 million this year going to be expected to be that number one guy uh, as an outside linebacker. Hasn't exactly been healthy the past couple of years, just one full season since 2015. Um, but, you know, prior to that, he did have a 22-sack season uh, back in 2014 when he led the league and was arguably the best uh, defensive player in all of football at that time. Um, you know, he's 30 years, 30 years old. You might not expect him to be at that level. We see a lot of pass rushers play well into their 30s these days. Uh, certainly Houston could be among those, and given his track record, I'm excited to see what he does with the Colts uh, and that good secondary playing behind him. He should have a lot of time uh, to get mm-hmm. to the quarterback. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a big opportunity for him to also, you know, people were um, wondering what type of money he was going to get out, and honestly, the two Colts' big signings in Funches and Houston, their one-year deals with a large salary because that gives them the opportunity to Go out there, make some money. It's not, you know, guaranteed beyond next season, but it's a prove it contract, and maybe they'll be able to sign, you know, have big seasons and sign big final contracts elsewhere. Um, but certainly going to be a big season, and Houston is definitely going to be relied on a bunch, especially after they lost Jabal Sheard, which it may seem like he won't be around for the season uh, on the opposite side of that defense. Uh, my third thing, for some reason, the, the schedule just worked out like this, but they're odd weeks. So every other week, starting with week one, are just are they're tough games. Week one, they've got the Chargers. Week three, they play the Falcons. Week five, they play the Chiefs. Week seven, they play the Texans. Nine, the Steelers. Eleven, Jacksonville. Thirteen is their one light game on, on the odd weeks where they play Tennessee. Uh, we know how you feel about them, Matt, and how I don't, I'm, I'm not too high on them either. Uh, week 15, they play the Saints. That's going to be a great matchup, uh, Matt, on Monday Night Football. And then they finish the season oh, yeah. at Jacksonville. So every other week... Uh, they do have their toughest opponents, but that, I guess, may be better than just having them tighten a stretch. They do get easy games against you know, the Titans, like we were saying, but the Raiders, the Broncos, the Dolphins, the Buccaneers, uh, Carolina, who I'm not too high on. Um, it seems to be every other week, uh, so it's not too stressful. Uh, you know, not, a, not one particular stretch that is absolutely difficult for Indianapolis. Yeah, I'm going to... 
Oh, it looks like I have one more topic. I was about yes. to jump into my, my um, <laughs> don't spoil us yet prediction right here. Um, I want to talk about the running backs. This is actually a conversation <laughs> Blake and I had uh, a little while back, but between Marlon Mack, Naeem Hines, uh, who's really going to be the guy that steps up this year uh, as the number one dude? It looks like Marlon Mack's going to be the number one running back, but they are going to go by committee. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about both these guys. I think that it's uh, they, their skill sets really complement each other. Obviously, both are former fourth-round picks, so they come in both with a little bit of chip on their shoulder. you got to love those guys uh, who really prove themselves and uh, play above their draft capital. Um, those are the kind of guys that you just really love to root for. So yeah. I think that you know Andrew Luck's health obviously being a question right now, it looks like he'll be fine for week one, but you never want to be dealing with an injury during training camp because those kind of things that can linger into the season and then you yeah. might be really feeling it in week 11, you take a game or two off, um, that could hurt. But uh, having this running back duo of Hines and Mack is really exciting for this team, uh, and I think that takes a lot of pressure off of Luck. Yeah, definitely. The running committee is going to be huge. I'm a little worried about Hines' production level just because Paris Campbell's a guy that, you know, Hines was lining up in the slot, and not to say that he can't, but Campbell might eat into some of his touches, but I think we're going to see a big year from Marlon Mack. Confidence really found himself late in the season. He's one of the top running backs, I guess, fantasy-wise, if you look at the second half of last year, so that's a big one, uh, certainly to have a balanced offense. All right. So what I did with picking the Colts is I picked their record, then I knocked them down a win just because of, of potential bias I might be feeling. Um, I, I, just, I did I, not do that with the Saints, but I, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And so, so I ended up picking the Colts. I do have them winning the division. I do think they're, to me, the clear-cut favorite. Um, and we'll talk, of course, uh, about Houston next. But I do have the Colts going 11-5, and five, uh, winning the AFC South. And, and to me, you know, I was hearing, um, I was listening to Peter King, the other day talking about the AFC and and of course there are two big teams out there uh, you know New England and Kansas City but Peter King went out there on a limb and said that the third team that's up there with them uh, is the Indianapolis Colts uh, they're getting a lot of love recently you know just because of Chris Ballard and what he's been able to do uh, I think an 11 and 5 season is more than capable of being done um, and, and yeah I, I think they win the division I think they have some good chances at making a good playoff push uh, come you know January. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna go twelve and four there with the go. Colts this year. I'm excited for what Andrew Luck's gonna do. I think you know, obviously, the injury questions are there, um, but you you go ahead and assume that he's going to be healthy for say at least fourteen games this year, mm-hmm. uh, which is more than enough for me to, to justify giving them a twelve win mark. Um, I'm. I think the Colts are an emerging dynasty in the NFL right now given that the way they're set up with all the young players coming out from the draft, uh, all the good contracts they have, the, the plenty of space that they have flexibility-wise uh, in their cap room, I think that the Colts are on the upswing, and we haven't seen the best of them yet. 12 wins, they win the AFC South. You're going to make me cry, Matt. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> I love it. Music to my ears. All right, well, that's going to bring us to the team that supposedly won't be winning the division uh, <laughs> yeah. next year, although did it last year. That's the Houston Texans, who finished last year at 11-5, and did almost get a bye. Uh, they came very close uh, to securing a first-round bye. They tied record-wise with the Patriots, but from the tiebreakers, the Patriots were able to escape having to play a wild-card game. So the Texans now have Deshaun Watson, Bill O'Brien, and no GM. Oddly enough, <laughs> they tried to steal uh, Nick, uh, what's his name, Costanzio? Cassell. Something like that. They tried to steal him from the Patriots. The Patriots said, nah, that we're keeping him until his contract's up after next year. It appears that the Texans are just in a holding pattern until he's 
uh, available. So they're rolling without a GM this year. Blake, what is your biggest storyline for them heading into the season? Yeah, it was certainly a good season for the Texans last uh, last year, and it came down to an unfortunate uh, loss to the Colts in the playoffs. Um, two of so the things, unfortunate. Yeah, huh? really unfortunate to me. Uh, I was really heartbroken <laughs> to see the Colts move on in the in the postseason. But uh, the thing that shapes up for the uh, the Texans to me is two numbers that we can look at to suggest uh, you know potential fluke seasons or reasons to believe that maybe they they were a, a, a you know not as good as of a team as we were led on to believe. And while they did go out eleven and five. They had the second highest turnover margin uh, in the NFL at plus 13. The only other team that was higher was Seattle Seahawks at plus 15. And those numbers never generally stay consistent uh, beyond a year or two. They always tend to come back to the to the median. And, and for Houston, uh, you know, they limited turnovers on offense, forced a bunch on defense. I think that number is going to regress back to the where we might see them. Even a plus three, like what the Colts had this past season, isn't isn't bad. Uh, but that's a number that can really fluctuate a team's success. And another one is is uh, one possession games. And six of the Texans' 11 wins were by one possession. A couple overtime games as well that went their way. Um, both of those, to me, are just signs of regression back to the team that they actually are. And, and I believe kind of those two numbers were misleading for us as a Texans team that you know was able to make the postseason, won their fair share of games. I mean, 11 and five is a great season, um, but I think that you know turnover margin, one possession game wins. Uh, I think it's it's just showing that this year the Texans are going to be a little less than what we expect them to be. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think that the move for Duke Johnson was pretty big uh, mm. for that team, but uh, with how poor their offensive line was last year and the seemingly few moves that they made to patch that up, I'm a little bit concerned. But I do think that establishing some kind of run game is going to be important because if the offensive line can't take the pressure off of Watson, then the running back committee has to. And that's going to be between Lamar Jackson and Duke Johnson to really step up and be the guy uh, in that backfield moving forward. You can throw Buddy Howell in there too. Um, but I think clearly we have Miller and Johnson as the top two guys. Johnson obviously comes in with a much better history catching the ball, him averaging 9.1 yards per reception last year, 429 yards on 47 catches. So he could play that ever-important running back receiver role uh, for this offense that it kind of lacked last year. Miller, obviously a guy that runs between the tackles, puts up solid numbers. I mean, we talk about Lamar Miller as a disappointing player, but, you know, he's going into his age 28 season, has 2,000-yard seasons, three season, three more seasons in which he's rushed for at least 800. Uh, so he's been, you know, very effective, uh, just, you know, uh, above average running back, a solid player, but really just doesn't jump off the page. I think Duke Johnson can be a guy who can jump off the page for them, but it's going to be a question of what, how well he picks up the playbook. He obviously was disgruntled over in Cleveland after they acquired Kareem Hunt, asked for the trade. He's going to be playing with a bit of his chip on his shoulder, but uh, it comes down to that offensive line and whether or not they can produce the holes for him, and I'm not sure if that can happen. Yeah, definitely, and that's my second point, too, Not to, and I'm not going to spend too much time because you were just echoing it. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson, to me, has potential of a top five to seven quarterback in this league if he's not already there. The problem is, is when his face is in the dirt so many times, it's difficult to see what his greatness is, and we all see the connection he's got there. Uh, with DeAndre Hopkins, it's great. He's also got Will Fuller, Kiki QT uh, on offense as well. Uh, so some weapons there, the weapons in the backfield. But if this offensive line can't keep him upright, then this team really can't 
improve much at all because you know there, there was a lot of changes defensively on the back end in their secondary this past year you know the guys that they lost just to name a few Andre Hall uh, they lost Kareem Jackson they lost Kevin Johnson Tyrone Matthew went to Kansas City they bring in guys like Bradley Roby Brianne Body Calhoun Jaleel Adai uh, and they also brought in Tashawn Gibson from from uh, Jacksonville those are just a lot of changes to have on defense uh, and then on offense, if you can't keep your quarterback upright, and this is a situation we saw in Indianapolis just a few years ago, if you can't keep your quarterback upright, his body can't stay intact for much longer. And we're this is a real potential great career for Deshaun Watson, and it's in the very early stages of it. But we could run into a situation like with Luck where we miss Watson for an entire season just because uh, of his offensive line's inability to keep him upright. And you mentioned all those names departing on the defensive side. The two big names left standing are J.J. Watt and Jadavion Clowney, both mm-hmm. of whom have some question marks entering the year. Watt, who's going to be 30 this season, he stayed healthy for all of last year for the first time since 2015, playing all 16 games, racking up 16 sacks. But he still has injury issues that had plagued him in previous years, only playing eight games between 2016 and 2017. So although he showed that he could stay healthy more uh, this year, We'll have to wait and see if he can do that again in 2019 or whether those injury issues will return. And then there's Javion Clowney, who's playing on the franchise tag this year, not very happy about it. He, you know, hasn't really emerged as a top pass rusher, the kind of guy that we thought he would be when he was drafted number one overall. You know, still a three-time Pro Bowler, but take that as you will, uh, being how the Pro Bowl selections uh, are not exactly the best uh, estimator of talent. Um, Clowney has stayed healthy the past couple years, but still... Uh, you know, we're, we were kind of just waiting for him to really break out. Maybe this is the year with the franchise tag that he does uh, as he goes on to prove that he deserves a mega deal after this, uh, after this season. Um, but, you know, we're kind of in wait-and-see mode with him, uh, whether or not he can take that next step. Yeah, certainly. You take a look at the schedule. Uh, the first seven, maybe even you want to stretch it to 13 weeks, uh, just full of tough games. They start off the season at New Orleans. They have games against the Jaguars, the Chargers, the Falcons, the Chiefs, the Colts, the Jaguars again, and then you know, they get a Week 10 bye, but then the three weeks after that are the Ravens, the Colts, and the Patriots. Fortunately, if they're in somewhat shape to make a push towards the postseason in that last month, they do have four easy, winnable games against the Broncos, the Buccaneers, and the Titans twice, but man... Getting through those first 13 weeks and still being in a good position to try and make a run at things is going to be damn near impossible for this team unless they you know, are able to fix those concerns that I, that I stated before. And my final piece with this Texan team, Texans team is Bill O'Brien, the head coach. He's really taken over this organization. I mean, the fact that they don't have a GM right now 100% shows that he's been pulling the strings uh, for a while, has really just kind of had... Uh, that control ownership, you know, believes in him, certainly. Um, and as an offensive guy, he's got to love the fact that he's got Deshaun Watson. His job appears to be safe right now. But if the Texans have a disappointing season, you have to wonder whether or not they retain him past this year or if they start fresh uh, with a new GM. I mean, you know, we saw the Texans. They were like the Titans. They went three straight years going 9-7. and seven. Those were Bill O'Brien's first three seasons before plummeting to 4-12. and 12 in 2017 and then rising to their 11 win year last year so under bill o'brien's tenure the five years that he's been with the team they've only had one truly great season uh so this is going to be a big test whether or not they can repeat that they're obviously very much sold on the the group that they have and they're 
rolling into this season, hoping that you know they're able to get a lot of repeat performances and Deshaun Watson can stay healthy and the offensive line bounces back from a terrible year. But you know that's a lot of what ifs. And you know I think something to watch is if the Texans get off to a rough start, do we see Bill O'Brien on the hot seat? Right. Oh, certainly. It's getting towards that time, especially if they can't maintain that consistency build off of the success from last year. Uh, to me, you know, I, I sound pessimistic. All three of my things didn't sound positive with the, you know, the means of regression in terms of toner, turnover margin, one possession wins, uh, you know, Watson not being able to be kept upright in the brutal schedule. I almost, almost, almost wanted to put them at last in the division at 6-10, and 10, but I looked at those last four weeks. I think that they're going to be one of those teams, like you said, Bill O'Brien fighting for his job, make a push that last month. I've got the Texans finishing 7-9, and nine, still tying for the bottom of the AFC South, but I've, I, nonetheless, I've got them as a 7-9 and nine football team and missing the playoffs uh, You know, after, after a very successful season last year. Yeah, I wanted to talk myself into making the Texans a playoff team, but it was just there are too many question marks. Yeah. I went with eight and eight, eight and eight, finishing second uh, in the AFC South. I really don't think that they just jump off the page enough to me. They have too many question marks on that offensive line. Deshaun Watson, you know, you really pity him because he, you know, his ceiling is so high. But we're really kind of just seeing a tapered version of him as long as this line has been performing as it has. So unless you know that takes a, you know, that changes around and. Clowney is able to stay, uh, take that step forward, and J.J. Watt can stay healthy, and they have a couple of their new guys you know, integrate well in the system. Sure, I can definitely be talked to the Texans uh, making a playoff push, but I just don't see them as the roster is currently constructed being a huge threat in the AFC South. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, a, a, you know, a, a lot of moving pieces here in the AFC South, and and uh, you know, we did disagree a few here. We had been getting uh, you know a lot of similar picks in our first three divisions. Uh, definitely some different ones. Just to recap what we've had, uh, I have the Indianapolis Colts finishing first in the division at 11-5. and five. Right behind them, I have the Jacksonville Jaguars with a big, big shift in, in the way that their franchise is looking after a disappointing year last year. I've got them making the playoffs as a wildcard team at 10-6. and six. Just uh, missing a 500 record are the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans, both falling 7-9, and nine, putting uh, the future of you know the Titans, their quarterback, in in uh in question and then the Texans certainly their head coach putting that into question as well. Yeah, for me I've got the Colts twelve and four. So I'm biased Blake Blake yeah, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bias pick of yours. Yeah, uh, twelve exactly. and four for the Colts the Texans finishing second at eight and eight, the Jaguars going seven and nine and the Titans plummeting all the way Oof. down two, four, and twelve, my hot take of the division. I love it. Uh, Blake, this has been fun. I think the AFC South presents uh, a very fun division this year, even if we only do have one uh, playoff team coming from it. Uh, there are a lot of really intriguing storylines uh, outside of Tennessee that I'm really excited to see with these clubs this year. Um, yeah. But, yeah, any last words on the division? Yeah, man, it's exciting. Uh, you know, it, it, I wanted to say, the, I mean, the way I had it shifting out, I mean, the way I have it, you know, you've got your two worst teams finishing just under 500. A lot of people, uh, you know, other divisions might have two teams that really pop off as, you know, clear playoff threats. You know, you look at the AFC West with the Chargers and the Chiefs. Of course, the Saints and the Falcons and the NFC South, which we discussed on last episode. But I think from one to four, this is one of the tightest bunches uh, in terms of, of competitiveness in the AFC South. And I, and I think it's going to be a really exciting season, a lot of great uh, divisional matchups. And, and yeah, just uh, it's going to be fun to watch unfold. All right. Well, that's going to do it. 
for our show today. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget, you can check us out on Twitter. I'm at Matt Wyrick FBB, where you'll find stuff about the Nats, baseball, sports in general. Then Blake's over at Blake Andrew Pace, tweeting about the Colts and Syracuse for his SB Nation stories. Ooh, Blake, and, any final words for, for the good people? Yeah, and Bush Light. you got to put that on my topics. I, I retweet a lot Light. of the Bush Twitter accounts, so that's... That's probably my other three right there. If you had to, if you had to say what my third thing on Twitter is, it's Colts, Syracuse, Bush. Not so bad, bro. <laughs> hey, you're a Bush stan. I respect oh, it. Even 100%. after college, that's that takes some commitment. I, it's going to be interesting to see how long <laughs> I stick with it. I really, I I had Bush the other day actually, and I was. Uh, I, I'm not to say that I'm I, Bush is great, but I, this is a shtick I'm going to have to force myself to keep up with. I gotta say, it's been a while for me. I had Bud Light over the weekend, so oh, I did, you, you know, go to that level. But I, oh, I'm, I'm honestly a Bud guy. I do love, love a good Bud. But I love Bud. All right, too. everybody, thank you for listening. We will be back in your ears on Thursday to do the NFC. Did we decide if we were going East or West first? East, I believe. East. All right, NFC East first, which means we are going to get to break down some Zeke rumors, uh, some Redskins quarterback drama, some Giants. Whatever da- the hell is Daniel going on Jones in New York. good? Is Daniel Jones a good quarterback? That is the big question. And, of course, the Eagles, who that that roster just looks like a lot of fun. So we'll get into that on Thursday. We're very excited. Again, thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.